0: Well, if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll be talking this evening about the preface to the Ten Commandments. The preface to the Ten Commandments. It's probably overlooked by a lot of people today. If you've memorized the Ten Commandments, and I hope all of you have memorized the Ten Commandments, you probably haven't given much thought to the preface to the Ten Commandments, unless you've been catechized, then you've been forced to think about it. But I believe the preface to the Ten Commandments wasn't just important for the Jews, it's important for people today. And I hope that after after the end of this message, that you will come to see how important even the preface to these commandments can be for us. In this preface, Moses reminds the people that God saved them from Egypt that He provided for them really for 40 years in the wilderness. This is chapters 1-4, through the travel log of the prologue to this covenant document. He reminds them that He condescended to establish covenant with them and made them His own people. You remember at the end of chapter 4, where Moses offers a challenge to them. Verse 32, he says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day, that God created man on earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. He's talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt and God making them his own people. Well, of course, the the answer to that question is no, it's never happened before. And yet, even us today, we now benefit from this same work in these same blessings. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word preserved until this night for you. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Amen. Please be seated. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to You again in prayer this evening, as we did this morning, that our hearts would not be hard, that the Word of God would go forth powerfully, that You would afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted with Your Word, and that these stuttering lips would proclaim Your glory, and that our hearts would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Shorter Catechism, question 44, asks, what does the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? That being in verse 6. And they say the preface to the Ten Commandments teaches us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all His commandments because God is the Lord and our God and our redeemer. We are bound to keep all his commandments. So with that in mind, listen to verse 6 again. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So we'll see the lessons that we learn from this preface really in those three points that God is the Lord He's our God and our Redeemer. Dr. J.V. Fesco writes of the preface, we might state the preface for us today in this way. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The commandments are for us. The preface is for us as well. We're going to spend a week talking about each commandment, because these are important for Christian life. You say, well, does the law really have any applicability for us today? Yes, absolutely, it does. The law is not the root of our faith and our obedience is not the root of our faith, but it's certainly the fruit of our faith. It's how we know how to please our God who is in covenant with us. It's interesting if you read The New Testament. People who would say, well, the law isn't really for us. It's just for Old Testament Jews. And yet, even the apostles, when they speak of our obedience, when they speak of our love for God, especially John in 1 John, he says this is love for God that you have obeyed the commandments. Your obedience to the commandments is your love for God. Well, what commandments could he possibly be talking about? These. These commandments. The law of God hasn't changed. It's wonderful and it's good. And it expresses the heart of our Father. So we love it. There's great unity throughout the Scriptures. There's one covenant. There's one Gospel. There's one mediator. There's one faith. One promise. And there's one law that pleases our Father. He's given it to us out of His good pleasure. When we talk about... We read Hebrews 12. We talked about the Lord's discipline in our lives. Uh, if you grew up in a home with a father who disciplined you, you know what, what happened, right? you would happen, right? You would disobey your father or your mother. And He would discipline you. Often spank you. Not because He was angry or hated you, but because He loved you. And He was drawing you back. Back to what? He's drawing you back to His commands. To the law of His house. And the writer of Hebrews is right. If you had a father who disciplined you, who took the time and made the effort to discipline you, when you're an adult, you actually respect them for it. You don't hate them for it. You respect them for it. Because you realize this was not easy. And how much more does the Lord discipline us? What does He discipline us from? He disciplines us for breaking His law. He's drawing us to Himself. He's drawing us back to the standards of the family. So this is why we're studying this text. This is why we're studying the Book of Deuteronomy because it's still for us what in the Old Testament was concealed in the New Testament is revealed, and part of that is the significance of the Ten Commandments and of the law so first we're going to look at the fact that the Lord that God is our Lord. this is the first reason why we want to obey the law. Puritan Samuel Bolton wrote this. I loved this quote. He said, the law sends us to the Gospel. This is the the first function of the law, if you will. It shows us our sin. The law sends us to the Gospel to learn how to be saved because the law cannot save us. And then the Gospel sends us back to the law to learn how to live. Joel Beaky wrote similarly, it is out of this overflowing fullness of grace that we obey the Ten Commandments. And not out of our wisdom or willpower, but out of Jesus Christ, the mediator of the covenant of grace. It should not offend us then that this God would demand that we offer up all that we are to Him in obedience, after He has given all that He is to us in His Son. The preface to the Ten Commandments shows that the covenant unfurled at Mount Sinai was not a covenant of works, but an administration of the covenant of grace. We'll talk about why he says that. So the first reason for obedience to the law is that our God is King. He writes in verse 6, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Before telling the Israelites of all the stipulations of the covenant that He's made with them, He reminds them in this short sentence of why. Why they need to obey. Because He is the Lord and He has authority over them based on His being, His position, if you will, His rank, His glory, His power, His holiness. Our larger catechism states related to this question, God manifests His sovereignty as being Yahweh, the eternal, immutable, and almighty God having His being in and of Himself and giving being to all His words and works. He's the sovereign King. And all of His words are important. He's the King. Daniel 4. Just a few few Scriptures to emphasize this point. He writes that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and He gives it to whomever He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Our Almighty King rules over all the kingdoms of men. Isaiah 40, have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.15, He is the blessed and only Sovereign. King James says, potentate. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He created all that exists and holds it together by the word of his power. In Revelation 4, we read that all creation will cry out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. He is Yahweh. He is the King of the universe. He's the Creator. So when the Creator, when Yahweh speaks his words, are powerful and true and righteous and eternal and holy, so we pay attention. In Deuteronomy 4.13 and in Deuteronomy 10.4, the Ten Commandments are actually called the Ten Commandments. And He declared to you His covenant, this is Deuteronomy 4.13, which He commanded you to perform, the Almighty God, that is, the Ten Commandments, and wrote them on two tablets of stone. Deuteronomy 10.4, he says something similar. He wrote on the tablets the same writing as before, the ten commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain. The interesting thing is the word that's translated commandments is actually just the word word. It's "debar" in Hebrew. It just is word. The ten words. You say, well, what's the point? The scope of the Hebrew word "debar" is much broader than just commandments. It's much, much broader than that. Actually, the King James Version of the Bible translates this one Hebrew word 85 different ways. Just to give you an idea of the scope of the word commandments or word. Words. Here's some of them. Debar can mean word, thing, act, matter, nothing, chronicle, command, commandment promise, saying, answer, message, news, report, decision, terms, portion, deed, dealing, advice, and some 60 other English words that are used to translate this one Hebrew word, debar. So the point is that when God gave them the ten words, referring to the Ten Commandments, it was more than just saying, these are ten commandments. These ten words are the summary of life. They're the key to true peace, true shalom in Christ. And in the Septuagint, the the phrase ten words in Deuteronomy 10.4 is translated deka logos. Deka log. Deka means ten, of course. Logos, what is that? Word. And you know John 1 well enough, in the beginning was the Word. That's logos. That's the same Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Our Creator God has given us His Word, both in Christ and here in the Scriptures. The ten words. Literally and figuratively, or literally and literally, I should say. We have the logos. We have the Word of God. I love this this unity in the Scripture, this unified plan and purpose of our Almighty God who created all things and He chose to reveal Himself to us in a way that we can grasp using words. The King of creation owns everything. I'm walking through some themes of Scripture. As the King, He sets the terms for this relationship, for His glory. Number three, He not only possesses all things, He moves all things to their ends. Number four, His purpose for mankind is to glorify Him. Glorify God. And this is revealed through covenant. We're reading a covenant document in Deuteronomy. It glorifies the Lord. This covenant relationship is how the Almighty God possesses us. And His goal, He made us for Himself to glorify Him to obey His Word, to enter His rest. And He's told us how to glorify Him. This is amazing and special. Have you ever worked for someone and you just didn't know how to please them? You didn't know what to do? I have. You're always wondering, I don't know what's going on. Did I do this right? Is this your goal? Is this what you wanted? God doesn't leave us wondering. The Father shows us, the Almighty God shows us in ten words, in ten commandments, how we can please Him, how we can love Him. What condescension, what grace, what a a wonderful and glorious revelation to mankind. You have all of the Scripture, and yet you also have ten words. And Jesus even summarizes those ten words with Two commandments, doesn't it? We'll talk about that in a moment. So, the first reason we obey, the first reason we desire to obey, that we see in the preface is that God is Almighty God. But the second reason is that we see He is our God. Our God. I am the Lord, your God. This is covenant language. Jab Packer says covenant theology is about personal pronouns. I, your, you, my, we, our. The gospel of God is not properly understood, nor is the Bible properly understood until we view it within a covenantal frame. This is a covenant document, and when he says, I am the Lord your God, he's making a covenant claim. Attempt to show you how. He's their God by covenant. And this covenant is summarized in these 10 words. The whole duty of people to God for the covenant is summarized here in the Ten Commandments. This is how you are to behave in the family of God, this is what pleases our Father. Our obedience does nothing for God, but it benefits us greatly. It glorifies God, but it benefits us greatly. All His promises were founded on grace. And even the first covenant, the covenant of works, was a covenant that flows from His divine goodness. Let's just talk about covenant for a moment because all of the rest that we'll be reading in Deuteronomy is based on covenant. It's a covenant document. So he says, I'm your God. Well, how is He your God? I'm the Lord your God by covenant is the implication. This word is not just a made-up word by theologians. It's a, a Hebrew word that's translated covenant, which actually means to cut or to cut off. A covenant in the Bible... This is Dr. Stephen Dempster. He's defined it this way. I like it. He says, a covenant in the Bible establishes a relationship entails obligations and charts a future for both parties since it is based upon promise and responsibility. I think for us the takeaway is that God has always revealed Himself to mankind via covenant. Why? Because He's gracious and, and kind and compassionate and He wants us to understand something about this relationship. It's a condescension. To talk to us in words that are easy to understand. We see the covenant that God makes with mankind revealed progressively throughout the scripture. First, we have the covenant of works with Adam and Eve. Remember, they had to perfectly obey God and have life, and they failed. And after the fall, God showed the covenant of grace, the covenant of grace to Adam and Eve by promising a redeemer then we see the covenant of grace ratified with Abraham. We see the covenant of grace displayed through Israel and the law at Moses and Sinai. We see the covenant of grace promised a king with David. And then the covenant of grace perfectly fulfilled and expanded in Christ. And praise God. The covenant of works is where we see as humans that it started. the thing that I think is so special about the covenant of works um, is that Christ he fulfilled all of the covenant of works that Adam and Eve failed to do. This is Romans 5. The point of, uh, one of the points of Romans 5 is that Adam failed, but Christ did not. Christ fulfilled the precept of the covenant of works. He fulfilled the penalty of the covenant of works. He died. And He won the right to the promise of the covenant, work, covenant of works, which is eternal life. And this is the reality of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace for us is based on Christ's success fulfilling the covenant of works. So we see the covenant of works in a very positive light. Because when God makes covenant with man, I think Packer said this, that He makes dust His friend and confederate. He didn't have to relate to us in covenant, and yet He did. But after the fall came grace. He pursued His glorious purpose with man even though they failed in the garden. And He chose to redeem a people to Himself. And it's grace that's undeserved. We've rebelled and deserve wrath and yet now we experience grace. This is is the, the context of all of these commandments. He's already brought them out. He's already preserved them and made covenant with them. And then He gives them the law. The covenant of grace is formalized in the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant with Abraham is kind of the DNA of the covenant of grace. I will be your God and you will be My people. He promises descendants and land and blessing and protection. God obligates Himself. Augustine says becoming a debtor to sinful humanity. He didn't have to, and yet He did. And what He requires, He provides for His people. So the Mosaic covenant we see is an outworking of the covenant of grace. This isn't a new covenant of works, as some have argued. There are stipulations and rewards and punishments, but they're all in the context of adoption and love. Remember Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right after the Ten Commandments. He says, this is how you love me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." Puritan Ebenezer Erskine writes, these words, I am the Lord thy God, contain the leading promise of the covenant of grace. And there is more in them than a heart can conceive or tongue express. For here is an infinite God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Making over himself in two or three words to man upon the earth. Oh, what can he give more than himself? And what will he not give when he gives himself? This is similar to Paul's exclamation in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? In these words, Beakey writes God commits himself to be the soul's portion and inheritance forever. In giving Himself, He gives all life, all light, all love, honor, riches, and joy for all who reside in Him. So the Ten Commandments are a summary of the entire covenant. They summarize the entirety of the law of God for the people of God. And in fact, any command you find in Scripture, you can hang on one of the Ten Commandments. Every command. What is our duty to God? It's obedience to His revealed will. What's the revealed will of God? It's obedience to the moral law. And where is the moral law best seen? In the Ten Commandments. And how are the Ten Commandments summarized? Our Lord said, the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And He says, all the law hang on these two commandments. All of it. And it's all about love. It's an obedience of love. It's the obedience of a beloved slave to a generous or loving master. Or the obedience of a beloved son to a gracious and holy father. And it's a radical obedience based on the covenant that God has made. We see this in the life of Abraham. The first... The first place where we actually see the covenant of grace kind of explained and amplified for us. In Genesis 12, Abraham's told to leave everything. And he does. He leaves everything immediately. In Genesis 22, he's told to sacrifice his beloved and only covenant son. And he did. He was all in. This is This is the covenant obedience that is expected not just of Abraham, but of all of us. He counted the cost, to use Christ's words, and He took up His cross and He followed Him. You know, in history, one of my favorite uh, historical accounts of of a conqueror is Hernando Cortez. About 503 years ago, he landed in Mexico with 11 boats. Eleven boats. 600 soldiers and 16 horses to conquer a whole country. 11 boats, 600 soldiers, 16 horses. Sounds impossible. So He burned all the boats. Burned them. What's He saying? He's saying there's no turning back. We're going to have victory or we're going to die. You might think this is a little extreme. Christ actually said, before you come to Me, you should count the cost. Because this is what's required. You must die to yourself. Like Abraham, you are in covenant. And when you're completely in covenant with the Almighty God, then your response will be something different, something noticeable. It's not this convenient, I'll just obey when I can kind of thing. And for Christians, it is different. But it's different not because our effort is more, it's different because God's work is greater. This is the promise of the new covenant, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. This is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, talking about Christ in the new covenant. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And certainly all men we know have the law of God on their hearts. But what Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying, is that He will put His law within them. Now it won't just be something that condemns them, it will be something that they desire. Something that they're able to obey. For the first time in Christ, you can obey the law. You can please your Father, who has brought you into covenant with Himself. So the preface teaches us that not only He is Almighty God, but He's our God. But thirdly, we see that He's also our Redeemer. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's redeemed them from Egypt. He is Almighty God. He rules over all things. He's also the one who came into covenant with them, an undeserving people. But now he reminds them that they have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. You see, the law was given to an already adopted and redeemed people. The law, the the commandments weren't, weren't a way for them to, to earn God's favor. They already had His favor as a people. Certainly many of, them, many of them displeased God and were never regenerate in the first place. But as a people, He rescued them from slavery. This is a picture of what God does for all whom He saves. This is a New Testament encouragement to obedience always references our redemption. In 1 Peter 2, the apostle is encouraging the church to live godly lives, to obey the commandments, and he reminds them that they have been brought from nothing to being very special to God. In verse 9 he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, He's redeemed us out of the world and called us to obedience just as He called the Israelites to obedience after their redemption. Similarly, while while we're there, let's look at Paul and Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 6. Again, he's instructing the Corinthians to obey the commandments. And he says, "You are not your own. You were bought with a price." So glorify God in your bodies." Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 7:22, he says, "He who was free when he was called is a slave to Christ. You were bought with a price." You see, he's calling the Corinthian church to obey the commandments, and he reminds them again and again. You've been purchased. What's he referring to? He's referring to the Israelites in Egypt being pulled out of Egypt, purchased with a price. This strikes at the heart of the reason for our obedience to God, our redemption. Thomas Boston writes, All men are obliged to keep these commandments, for God is the Lord of all. But the saints especially, for besides being their Lord, He is the God and Redeemer too. So the preface to the Ten Commandments is important and special for we God's people. May me conclude with, with a reference to Hebrews 12, kind of where we started. In Hebrews 12, we read that the church is encouraged, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the church is encouraged to fear God, but then we remember that we don't have a fire that came down from heaven. For us, we have a man. An actual man who came to us. And this gift is so special. It makes the obedience so much more important because we see the context of love. It's not just a reverence and an awe. It's a love. Certainly the Old Testament saints were also encouraged to love God by their obedience. But we see it more clearly because we see Christ and His example. That's why in 1 John 5, John encourages the church in this way. Verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. see, we love God because He is our sovereign King. We love God because He has adopted us and covenanted with us to make us his, our Father and us His children. We also love God because He has redeemed us from the pit. And by loving God, John instructs us that we obey God. We obey Him. And all the commandments hang on the law of love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the Ten Commandments aren't something that we just think about occasionally and uh, it's good to know them maybe. No, these things, they should be seared into our souls. They reflect the love of a God who has redeemed us, who owns us, and who has covenanted with us. And not only that, has shown us what he requires, how to please him, how to love him back, if you will. He's called us to love him in obedience. Such is the preface to the Ten Commandments. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that even in these few words, you have displayed to us glorious truths. What a God. You are, and how precious is our Savior to us. For He obeyed every commandment perfectly. He showed us what that life looks like that we might follow in His steps. And it was a life of service, both to You and to His fellow man. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that You would open our eyes to the commandments, to the great duty The reverence that we should have for you when we think of them as being your very words of life. Encourage our souls, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you please stand with me and let's sing our closing hymn, number 364.